Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 4 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Lord, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, so that we would see your presence amongst us, to hear your gentle whispers to our souls, to feel your presence in our hearts. But O Lord, fill us up with your spirit in such a way that we are transformed so that we would leave this place this morning not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So I will confess to you that I'm a bit of a news junkie. I mean, I really like the news. I mean, I get up every morning, one of the simplest pleasures of life for me is to read the newspaper. I mean, I still read the paper paper, I, I don't scroll it. Now, those of you that scroll the news, I'm so proud you've made the, the jump, but I like to hold the paper. And if that isn't enough, I like to watch the evening news. And then I've got my, uh, my Alexa app and I sit there and I love to say as I'm getting ready, Alexa, what's the news? And then she drones on for, oh, I don't know, she'll drone on all day, I guess, until I tell her stop. But I like to hear all that, but there are just days Despite all of this, there are just days that it gets to be a bit much for me. I mean, just all the news and all that comes in and all that I hear. I mean, some days the weather hype is enough to get me just anxious about whether I should go out the door. I mean, there are days that Laney Pope gets me so worked up. I mean, I've got enough bread and milk and I don't even like bread and milk sandwiches. (laughs) But if Armageddon comes, come see me because I've got a stockpile. And then there are other days where the weather hounds are all talking and I mean, it's, you just think that we can't get the perfect weather and you and I both know the secret. 
We can have all four seasons in one day in Winston-Salem. But it's not just the weather. Some days the political discourse gets so heavy and so heated that it's like children, it's like toddlers arguing and I feel like I'm insulting toddlers and I realize myself they just make me so angry, all of them fighting amongst themselves until I realize it's our fault. We keep electing them and sending them up there and we don't demand better from them. But it's not just that either. Some days the suffering of the world, war, famine, disease, disaster, crime, sort of inhumanity or humanity's inhumanity to itself gets to weigh me down. And it weighs me down in such a way I just want to sometimes scream at Alexa or scream at the news or even at the newspaper and go, isn't there anything good? Isn't there good news? Can't you all find something that just brightens my day a little bit? Something that lightens the, the heaviness of the world. I've discovered in the Wall Street Journal in the lower left-hand corner of the front page, there's always a box. It's about an inch and a half long, about two columns wide, and it continues over on page eight. It sees sort of human interest stories. One of the stories that was my favorite were the, the skiing Santas of Maine when Sunday River Ski Slope has this one weekend in December where if you show up in a Santa Claus suit and you elect and wear that thing all day long, they'll let you ski for free. And so there's just images of Santas all over the slope and it just makes you smile. Or truckers in the Midwest that decorate their trucks in such a way that it's like a rolling billboard and rolling art, one, as a source of pride, but two, just to brighten the mood of people on the highway. And then every Friday on the NBC News, there's the Make a Difference series. The last three or four minutes before they sign off for the weekend, there's this, this moment, this glimmer of hope that the world is not all dark and dismal. And it gives me hope. But are you like me? Are you like me where you wish that every day there was something good, some good news to celebrate that just reminded us that life is not as heavy as the TV news pictures it? Put a pin in that question. We'll come back to that in 15 minutes or so. See, in today's text, Jesus is there. Jesus is, has been teaching in the countryside. He started his ministry and he comes back to his hometown, comes back to read scripture comes back to the synagogue and there's in this story there's a couple things going on but I love the sub the subplot that's here it comes right out of the gate and it says Jesus returned to Galilee and he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath he went into the temple as was his custom now I love that he went to the temple as was his custom and Luke was writing this I think very intentionally to remind us that if we want to pass on the joy of worship the joy of what you and I experience in this place that we've got to come again and again and again until it's a habit. But we need to bring our families, our children, so that it's a habit for them so that when they go off on their own, they too on Sunday will go to church because that was their custom. So that's like a free nugget for us today. A free nugget on how to raise up the next generation of believers. But it says in there, Jesus came because that was his custom and he went there, they gave him the scroll to read. Now did they give him the scroll because of his reputation of healing and teaching on the countryside? 
or was it his turn or was it just that the priest looked around and said, I need someone to read scripture and I'm looking at you, Jesus. It doesn't really give us clarity, but Jesus comes up and they hand him the scroll and unrolls it and it's Isaiah. Providentially, it's Isaiah, you know, the prophet that predicted the coming of the Messiah. And so there in this moment, Jesus unrolls the scroll and begins to read these words. The words that Ann just read a minute ago. But there's something different for the first time in the history of the faith, the first time that it is had happened, the prophets have been talking about the future and talking about the coming of the Messiah and right before everyone's eyes, as the prophecy was being read, it was also being fulfilled. As it was being read about the coming of the Messiah and what the Messiah would do, the Messiah was right there in front of them. And so as Jesus is reading, there is this literal and spiritual dimension to those words. He said, I come to bring good news to the poor. He wasn't just talking about the impoverished, the financially challenged, the under-resourced of his day. He was also talking about the poor in spirit. Those who realized as they looked at their lives and realized how far they were from God, how distant they had been, what had separated them, they had no way of saving themselves, no way of building that bridge, that they needed someone to lift them up. They needed someone to bring them up out of the mud and the mire of life and to set their feet on a rock. When he talked about proclaiming release to the captives, he was talking about not only those that were imprisoned, but also about those who are imprisoned by guilt and sin and the bondage that that forges in their lives that sort of holds them hostage from moving forward. We know from the teachings that Jesus was already healing people along the road. Blind Bartimaeus said he healed him with mud and he rubbed it on his eyes and Bartimaeus could see again. But he was also, when he said, giving sight to the blind, not just talking about physical healing, but helping people who had lost sight of God, lost sight of what God was doing in their lives, help them see beyond the horizon that God was there for them. And oh, free the oppressed. Those who are oppressed by humans, but those that were also oppressed by the wickedness of the world, lifting them up and helping them find salvation. But what I love is how that passage ends, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in the tradition of the day, every 50 years or so was the year of Jubilee. And it was a Jubilee year, all the debts that you had in the community were canceled. All the prisoners were set free from the jails. And it was like everyone got a clean slate in the world. And so as Jesus is reading this, it, it, it doesn't say that whether this was a Jubilee year or not, but what Jesus was proclaiming was that the Jubilee has come. See, in a theological dimension, it really had. This was the good news because, see, you and I, we know the rest of the story, right? See, we have the benefit of, of being thousands of years later in realizing the rest of the story. Because in Jesus, the Jubilee had come. The debt that we owed God for our sinfulness, the captivity that we had to sin and death was being broken by Jesus, the Messiah, right in their midst. He was the son of God. He had come to show us the way to live, to release us, to sin, to save us, and to lift us up out of the mire and the muck of life and to set our feet on a rock and to give us a new song to sing, as the psalmist writes. See, Christ came 
And on this day in the temple, as he read that scroll from Isaiah, he was both the good news and sharing the good news. Literally and theologically right in front of the people sharing the good news and he was it. If we look at the world around us today, if we look at all that we read in the news, all that we hear, all that we see, whether we even look at the TV or listen to Alexa or the radio or read the paper, that same good news, that same message has got to be broadcast worldwide for the world to hear it. Good news to the poor, the recovering of sight to the blind, the release of the prisoners to free the oppressed. That message of good news needs to be shared and it's up to us up to you and to me. We're the ones that are share that message because guess what? God's spirit is upon each and every one of us in the room. It's been poured out upon us just like waters from the mountains, waters from the river of life poured upon each of our lives and we are to be the bearers of that good news. 50 years ago, there was a United Methodist minister serving in Eastern Kentucky by the name of Tex Evans. Tex looking around about the same time that Lyndon Johnson declared his war on poverty. Tex Evans looks around his community and sees the poverty of the people in central Appalachia, especially eastern Kentucky. And instead of saying someone should do something about that, he heard God's voice clearly calling him saying, send me. And Tex Evans said, I can do something about this. And so in the summer of 1969, he recruited 50 teenagers from around Kentucky brought them into Eastern Kentucky and for several weeks in small groups, they worked on homes, basic home repair during the day and at night they would worship and praise together. His dream was that they would be so moved by the work that they were doing that they would go home and replicate this work. So in that summer of 1969, 50 teenagers came together into Eastern Kentucky. They repaired four homes, making them warmer, safer and drier. And in the process of that, gave birth to the Appalachia Service Project. And so for the last 50 years, teenagers have been coming from around the country throughout the summer and into the school year and college students and adult groups as well. 394,000 of them to be exact have been poured into central Appalachia to make warms, homes warmer, safer, and drier. 17,900 families have been helped all because all because Tex Evans wanted to show the world the gospel in action. Physically and relationally, show the world what ministry looks like when we take what we learn here in church and we put it into practice with our hands and our feet. Truly good news to the poor in central Appalachia, but even better, good news for our world. It begs the question to us, how can we take that lesson? How can we adopt it? If that's our calling to do that, then what can we do? So I think of what happened with ASP. Tex Evans dreamed that youth would come and experience these mission trips and go back in their communities and do similar work. It reminds me of what happened several years ago when several of the youth of this church went to San Francisco. They were moved by the Spirit, saw the work that was being done there through the United Methodist Church helping those that were impoverished and they came back here and they started a similar ministry. And from that we have love thy neighbor if that wasn't enough, folks in our community looked around and said, we can do something about homelessness. And City with Dwellings was started. Loaves and fishes to feed the hungry, Samaritan to care for those 
who just need a jump start on their way to independence. Helping the impoverished and the underserved, the under-resourced. Sort of adopting that idea of what Tex Evans had that dream, meeting people right where they are, no questions asked. Getting to know them and lifting them up from where they are out of the muck and the mire of life, setting their feet upon a rock and giving them a new song to sing. The same is still true for us. That's still our calling. That's still because we know and we see the ills of the world around us. We know the physically and the spiritually poor, we see them. We know those who are distant from God, who have found a brokenness in their relationship, lost and lonely, depressed. Others who have lost love, love is devoid in their lives, with their families, with their friends, struggling to figure out their direction. And you see folks, when we leave this place, when we walk across the threshold of the doors of this building, of this church, this sanctuary, we step out into the mission field. It's right there in front of us. We can't brush the waters of righteousness because they're just in front of our face like a curtain. And we walk out the doors, cross the threshold, and our mission field is right there. The very people that Christ came to save are right in front of us, our brothers and sisters. San Diego, California, there's a church, Christ the King, it's a Catholic church. They had a beautiful facility, beautiful churchyard. They had a garden, a meditation space, all of this. Downtown church had a beautiful statue of Jesus standing there with his arms outstretched. And one night some vandals decided to create mischief and mayhem. And they lopped the hands of that statue off. And the next day as the staff came in and the priest came in, saw the damage to the statue, called the trustees of the church together, much like John Markle would do with our team of trustees to look at the damage and figure out what they could do. And the trustees and the priests were sitting there talking about all different options. If you know anything about statuary, you know that once you've broken it, it's hard to repair it where it looks right. Sure, if it's made out of concrete or marble or granite, sure, you can take the pieces that are broken off and maybe you can mix some epoxy and maybe you can bond it together enough that it'll take hold, but it will never look just right. So the trustees are wrestling with what do we do? How do we fix this? What do we do about it? And the priest said, I have an idea. Do you trust me? The trustees looked at their priest and they said, what is it? He says, do you trust me? And they said, yes. He said, I will fix it by next week. Now, I don't know what kind of trust they had. I don't know what was going through their minds as they listened to their priest, but they trusted him. And they went off, they went back to their work, back to their jobs, back to their lives, and they just waited. So the next Sunday, as it rolls around and it's time for mass, People start coming to all the different services and the statue is still out there without its hands. But at the foot of a statue is a sign and the sign says this, I have no hands but yours. I have no hands but yours. 
I mean, talk about the wisdom. I mean, that's divine inspired wisdom that came into that priest in that conversation and he knew just what to do. Because my brothers and sisters, that's our calling. That is our calling is that we are the hands and feet of Christ in the world around us. Sure, in America, we're raised with this idea of rugged individualism where we think that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and that we can make it and we can do it ourselves. But here in our city, one thing I know, our cultural heritage is one of family and community. This idea, this ethos, if you will, of family and community, we take care of our own and we lift each other up and we look out for each other, it dovetails with our calling. Our calling that we hear in the Gospel of Luke to be the hands and feet of Christ in our community. Think about it with me. Think about this in terms of all the interactions you have in life each and every day, all the places you go, whether it's to work or to school or home in the marketplace around the neighborhood. Think of all the people that you know. You know someone that's poor. You see them on the streets. You see them in the community. You know someone that's poor in spirit. We know someone who are prisoners of their own guilt and imprisoned by their ills, by their illness, their disease, imprisoned by their shortcomings, stuck in life, if you will. We know folks who have lost sight of God, who look to the horizon and it's so far away they can't even imagine that God is looking back and looking out for them. They are so lost they can't even see that God's love is all wrapped around them. You and I know people who are beat down by life and the cards that they have been dealt. You know who they are, don't you? You know who they are, you can see their faces, you can say their names, and whether you know their names or you just know because they're always in the same places on your daily journey, you know who they are. Well see, our calling, our calling that we hear here in Luke is that we're to go out, we're to be in ministry to them right where they are, just as they are. To love them, to listen to them, to help them succeed, to find a way to offer support, to help them find a way out of the muck and the mire and to stand on a rock and to sing a new song in their souls. And we ask ourselves, that sounds great, Glenn, but how do I do that? I, I know these people and if you're right, if I'm supposed to, how do I do it? Well, we spend time with them, we pray for them, we invite them, invite them into this place, invite them to find the journey with us. We offer to walk side by side with them, to lift them up, to guard their dignity and pride. But more importantly, what if we just ask this question of ourselves? If I were in their shoes, what would I want someone to do for me? And the answer that our souls hear is how we should act. See, my friends, we know, we know that we have already lived in the land of the Jubilee. We know that Christ has come and has died on the cross for our sins. We know that Jesus came to do just what the prophet Isaiah said. We know that all of our sins have been given, forgiven. All our debts have been paid. We have been released from bondage. So if we know that in our hearts and that we don't give up, then we know that God doesn't give up on us and on the world around us. So then here's the message. 
when we walk out of these doors, when we cross the threshold and step out, outside of Centenary United Methodist Church, we step into the mission field. Every person that we meet needs to hear good news because we know the world outside is full of negativity. We know the world outside tends to get sucked up into the darkness. And yet the good news is what we have in our hearts. And that's our mission field. The world cannot wait till three minutes on Friday at the end of the newscast or to happen chance to catch the article at the bottom of the Wall Street Journal. Every day the world needs the good news that you and I know in our hearts and that God has given to us. And they need to see and hear it. It's these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovering of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor is upon us. See, Christ fulfilled that prophecy, fulfilled it for the world, for each and every one of us. And here's the secret. The favor of the Lord is upon you, upon me, upon all of us. And so we're to go out into the world and share the good news with a world that screams, is there any good news today? Because folks, what we have in this place is the best news of all. And our world desperately needs to hear it. So let us go forth and share that news with everyone. Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and me. And we must proclaim that the Lord's favor is upon all the world. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.